Namu Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namu Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namu Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddhang Dhammang Sangam Namasami Vesak Day is very auspicious for those of us who practice the Buddha's teachings. Why is this day auspicious? Because we believe that the Buddha was born on this day and that he attained his enlightenment on this day, but also he passed into Parinibbana on this day. And you might wonder about that, but the Buddha's life was quite wonderful and wondrous. And so Vesak is a day that we can feel, we can express, experience, remember the wonder of this being that lived and walked on this earth. He was a human being. He was not a god. He was a human being, just like all of us here. And, and this is really the crux of why Vesak is so significant, because it means that we also can become awake like the Blessed One. Even though that might seem a very distant goal, it bears picking up it bears determining that goal and realizing it. The Buddha had many past lives before appearing in this form. In one of the Buddha's past lives, when he was Sumedha, he made a vow that one day he would become a Buddha. And at that time, he was a bodhisattva, a Buddha-to-be. Bodhisattva means Buddha-to-be. And Sumedha made three charyas or three vows on Vesak Day. So that's another reason why Vesak Day is so important. And these three vows were a vow to perfect his knowledge, to spiritually perfect himself. So that's the Lokatacharya. That was the first vow. And then he vowed Anyatacharya to help all his relatives and all those dear to him, all his fellow citizens and all the beings that he could help. And so Many people think that to be a bodhisattva, it means that you help all beings. But in order to help all beings, we have to have enough wisdom 
and enough compassion to do that. And until we practice and perfect ourselves spiritually, it is very difficult for us to really help others without delusion, without wanting for ourselves, without operating from some selfishness. And so Sumedha at that time took a vow to perfect himself, understanding this principle that to perfect oneself is part of the way that we help others. So that was his second vow. And his third vow was to become a Buddha. And so you can see that these three vows work together. The Buddha excuses us from the third vow, but encourages us to perfect ourselves and to help others in our life through our conduct, through our speech, and through the development of wisdom and compassion. The other reason that Vesak is historically important is because when the Buddha had attained enlightenment, he was invited to Kapilavatu by his father. And he went there on Vesak day. So that was a very auspicious visit because he returned to his roots. He returned to his ancestral home. And this is something that we can also reflect on as part of this. The Nyatatacharya is that you, you return to your ancestral home. You don't just keep your awakening and your knowledge for yourself, but to really mature in that perfection. The Blessed One returned to his ancestral home and taught the members of his own family, the Dhamma. So these are causes for joy in the world, the arising of a Buddha, and the contemplation of how we ourselves can attain enlightenment. We don't only remember the Buddha to remember him historically, but we remember the Buddha as a reflection, and this is the meaning of Buddha Nusati. We internally celebrate Vesak every day, not just today, but every day by contemplating the virtues and the qualities of the Buddha. Actually, there are 10 contemplations that help us to improve our practice and help us to develop this spiritual path that the Buddha set out for us. And you may know these. Three of them are the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. So when we contemplate the Buddha, this is Buddha Nusati. And when we contemplate the Dhamma, this is Dhamma Nusati. And when we contemplate the Sangha, this is Sangha Nusati. Now, we just chanted the contemplations or the qualities of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha when we paid homage. These other qualities are important for us to develop spiritually. 
The first one, after reflecting on the triple gems, the three jewels, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, is sila, the quality of virtue. And the Buddha's presence and his teaching are, in, in truth, the great gifts to us. And when we reflect on the Dhamma, we always think about Dhamma Vinaya. We know how important precepts are. Taking precepts and following them mentally, verbally, and through our conduct. And reflecting on our virtue is a way of bringing the Buddha into our presence. And, and a way of making the teacher viably present for us in our lives. So sila is not only developed through meditation practice, though really meditation practice is the culmination of our sila. And this is very, very important. When we reflect on our virtue, we can feel joy in our hearts. And without joy, it is impossible for us to perfect the Noble Eightfold Path, the path to awakening. And then another quality for us to reflect on is chaga. Chaga and musati are the recollection of our generosity, our kindness. Generosity is not just giving material gifts, but giving kindness, giving compassion, giving safety to others. If we take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha to be a refuge for others, we have to be able to emulate those qualities of the Buddha, the qualities of the Dhamma, and the qualities of the Noble Sangha. And you know from giving alms or giving gifts, you know the great joy that comes in your heart. So this Chaga Nusati is a very powerful reflection for us. And then there is the Deva Nusati, or recollection of the Deva realms, Maranasati, reflection on death, is a way of reflecting on impermanence, reflecting on the Buddha's cardinal teaching. This life is fleeting. This life is not forever. So if we reflect on the impermanence of this life, then we encourage ourselves to live well, to do well, to aspire to lofty goals, to be a bodhisattva, bodhisattva, one that is aspiring to be a Buddha or aspiring to be enlightened and to practice perfect compassion as much as we can. Compassion to all beings. That means to beings that we like or beings that we don't like, to everyone. Very difficult to do. So Marana Sati, Kaya Gata Sati, this is reflection on the body, 32 parts of the body as a reflection and Anapanasati, which is the mindfulness of breathing. This is a way of remembering the breath. Recollection and mindfulness are very similar. Mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the breath, mindfulness of peace. Upasamana Sati is mindfulness of peace. And this is a peace that we can develop through our contemplation of the breath, 
our contemplations of these recollections, these 10 recollections will lead us to Upasamana Sati. We all want peace, we all long for peace. And the Buddha, by making that vow lifetimes ago, and then fulfilling it 2,600 years and more before our time, the Buddha appeared in this world and was able to fulfill this path and this teaching to its ultimate level. And so Waysak is a time when we can determine for ourselves, I too can fulfill this path and make this life a worthy life, not just for myself, but for other beings. And so a very worthwhile thing for us to do on Waysak Day is to contemplate the qualities of the Buddha. So here you see Itipiso Arahang. The Buddha was a Sammasambuddha. He was supremely enlightened and he was able to accomplish the qualities of an Arahant. And he knows all laws that there are to be known, including the law of Kama. And he had perfected wisdom. So this is very important for us to reflect on. Vija Charana Sampano, he was endowed with knowledge and virtue. Now we talked about the perfection of virtue through keeping the precepts. And of course, the Buddha was a bhikkhu, so he kept a very, very refined level of precepts. But he also had the three knowledges. The first one is asavakaya jnana, pure vision. Asava are the effluence. So we, as human beings, we have defilements and we have asavas that are the outflows through wrong views. We're caught in greed, hatred, and delusion. And we are possessed of ignorance. So we are avijja, and we're striving for vijja, which is a completed and perfected vision. The mind is completely radiant. When we meditate, we may notice that the mind feels more bright. And you may wonder, where does that brightness come from? It comes from purification of the mind. Going into the silence of the mind, the more we listen to that silence, the more pure, the more the mind becomes revealed to us, the more the purity of the mind is self-evident, luminous, and our awareness grows with that purity. And it is a mindful of light, but it is an indwelling light. It's not a light from outside. It's not a light that we add to the mind. Everyone is endowed with this potential. And it's good for us to reflect on that. It gives us the courage to take up this practice, take up this path. So the Buddha also remembered all his past lives, and he had that knowledge, Hubha Niwasanusati. And he also had Dibha Chakra, which is the divine eye, 
And that is clairvoyance. That's the ability to know the minds of others. And these are powers that one can develop, but really what we want to develop most is the wisdom, the wisdom and the compassion. The Buddha is Sugato, the accomplished one. And the Buddha always speaks for the benefit of all beings. He never speaks things which are not of benefit to others. As Sugato, he's also the follower of the Noble Eightfold Path. And this is the path that the Buddha teaches us. And he is Loka, we do the knower of the worlds. The Buddha knew all the realms in the cosmos. Accomplished, sublime, and the follower of the Noble Eightfold Path. It's not just a path of meditation. There are eight limbs of the path. And the goal of the Noble Eightfold Path is going beyond all birth, going beyond all death. Everything that is conditioned is not to be taken as a refuge. Therefore, we want to aspire to the unconditioned, the highest happiness that is indestructible, Nibbana. And it is realizable by us humans. Now, we are students of the Buddha, and this is a, a way of celebrating our teacher. He's a teacher of all beings. Even creatures that walk around here in the forest, when we walk in the forest and we chant, sometimes they stop and listen to us. Sometimes we've been on the path and we see the deer that come to the main house and they raise their ears and listen to us chanting. Well, when we met them in the forest, we recognized them. Those are our dear, our dear, dear. Because when we started to chant, Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato, they stopped and they listened. And then they actually led us on their path. So even the animals recognize the sound of Dhamma. Now, of course, they've been listening to us for years. So they, they got familiar with this sound. But we too, we might hear the Dhamma sound for years, but we don't pay attention at first. We just think, oh, it's just another sound. But after a while, when this sound becomes soothing to us, we listen to it, we pay attention, we pay heed, and we gain some measure of peace. And then we remember that peace. Even if it's only a moment of peace, we remember it. So the deer, they know that we don't harm them because every time we walk by, we do a little bit of a chant and then we walk away and we don't harm them. So they begin to become accustomed to that chant being non-harming, harmless and they start to develop trust. So when trust is developed, joy is developed. 
when joy is developed, we have the power to be close to the Dhamma. When we have the ability to be close to the Dhamma, we have a true refuge. When we have a true refuge, we can pick up the training. When we pick up the training, we are following Anuttaro Purisadhamasarati, the Buddha, the peerless trainer. So we give ourselves. This is a very high form of giving. We mentioned that there's Chaganusati, which is the reflection on generosity. But even if you're giving to those worthy of gifts, there are these higher gifts, which is giving ourselves, giving our time and energy to the training. We offer our, not just our bodies, we offer our, our minds, our, our attention, our being, our presence. So if the teacher is present, that means we are also invited to be present. Offering our attention means offering our mindfulness, our present moment awareness, and all our faculties of being able to know and to understand and to see and to hear and to listen to Dhamma well. And we devote our attention and our intention to stay present, to be trained. Then we're giving a beautiful gift to the teacher who is present to receive the gift. And the Buddha within us rejoices when we follow this teaching, when we offer ourselves to the Buddha as trainees. There is so much joy in our hearts. That's really the right recollection, the right Buddha Nusati for us to follow, then making every day a Vesak day. We can offer ourselves to be present so that the teacher can teach us. Because if we're not present, the teacher won't teach. In fact, one of the worst things that a teacher can do is to ignore someone. That's a loss for them. So the teacher is only present when the student is present and asks, please, will you teach me the Dhamma? And that's one of our Vinaya roles. That's why you asked for the teaching before I could start to speak. We can only teach the Dhamma when we're asked. And so if the Buddha wasn't asked, then he wouldn't teach. But we ask the Buddha, we, and we ask the teacher to be present. That's by sitting down ourselves and making ourselves available to hear the teaching within. And how do we do that? We have to be quiet. We have to be silent. So that we too, step-by-step, step, by taking this gradual training, we go through the stages of enlightenment. And he was Buddha Bhagawa. He was awake and holy. Holy. Holy means whole, fully enlightened. Not partly, but wholly enlightened. He's a holy 
And we ourselves, we look at ourselves without this training, we are fragmented. If you look at the world, you see what's going on in the world. The world is raging with greed, hatred, and delusion. And when we are not giving ourselves and our attention to the teacher, and the teacher is not present, we are as lost as the world in our greed, in our ill will, in our lack of understanding. So to be able to follow this most eminent teacher, we must invite the Buddha, the blessed one, the exalted one. And we reflect on the qualities of the Dhamma. They remind us of the Buddha. And the Buddha said, whoever sees the Dhamma sees me. So the Buddha and the Dhamma are not separate. If we begin to have insight into the purity of our own mind, we start to open this Dhamma eye, this divine eye, this Dibachaku. We open it and we develop that kind of divine knowledge. So by reflecting on the qualities of the Dhamma, the Dhamma is suakato, perfectly expounded upon. Sanditiko, visible here and now, akaliko, timeless, eipasiko. You can't get the Dhamma by watching somebody else meditate. It's only by watching our own minds. So we might admire other people. Oh, he's a very good meditator. But that should be for us an encouragement to sit down and develop this Dhamma knowledge for ourselves. And we can do it, but we have to do it ourselves. It's a pasiko. It's a, an invitation for each and every one of us to come. Come and practice. Opanaiko. Insight into an indwelling light of the mind, within the mind. And this is for those who are wise. This is how we develop that enlightened wisdom, but it's also an enlightened compassion. For the three vows to be accomplished, the vow to develop perfect enlightenment and the vow to help all our relatives, all our loved ones, and all beings everywhere, especially those who are caught in greed, hatred, and delusion to the extent that they are committing violence in this world. Right now, as we speak, people are being murdered. Bombs are falling on in innocent beings, innocent children. It's, it's almost unthinkable that others could raise weapons and point them at innocent people and kill. Why? How is it possible? And through our own practice, through our own development of wisdom, perhaps we can then reach out to those that are so caught in hatred that they would do this much violence to themselves. We violate ourselves and to each other. We know that if we cause harm to any being, 
it is very difficult to meditate. That's why sila is the foundation for the Dhamma. Sila samadhi panya, the Noble Eightfold Path. Pacha tangwe ditabo minuiti. This is to be understood by the wise. Each and every one of us can understand this Dhamma by ourselves. And then, of course, we, we must reflect on the qualities of the Sangha. As we develop these qualities, then we can really call ourselves students of the Buddha. We have pure conduct. We are upright in our conduct. We are generous. The generosity comes again and again and again. Even our attention to the breath is a generosity of attention to this moment. This is how the path begins, is to notice when we're not paying attention. And when we're not paying attention, then our generosity becomes pay attention. Give attention this moment to this breath and keep going. Make it seamless for 20 minutes, one hour, three hours, four hours, five hours, all day long every day in every activity, not just when we're meditating, but when we're conducting ourselves, conduct is conduct. How do you conduct yourself? A conductor of an orchestra makes beautiful sound. A conductor of sila makes beautiful action. In this world torn apart, the virus creates not as much harm as human beings create to each other. This virus started from the beginning because of our own greed. It is through greed, ill will, and through our delusion that all the ills of the world that we are experiencing in this realm have come to be. And our lack of generosity our lack of freedom from ill will and from greed has prevented so many people from gaining the ability to cure themselves or be healed by the virus because governments are unable to provide what is needed. Why are they unable to provide? Because there is so much wealth in this world that is concentrated in the hands of very few. There is so much imbalance. Well, this is a realm of dukkha and freedom from dukkha. If we want freedom from dukkha, we must bring balance into our minds. And then bringing balance into our minds, we conduct ourselves beautifully. And this is how we celebrate the presence of the Buddha in our life. So let us, at Waysak time and always, be able to complete this path so that we become an incomparable field of merit for all beings. And we can produce the well-being, the peace, the generosity, the compassion, the wisdom, the completion of the Eightfold Noble Path that will lead us all to freedom from dukkha for all time.
I'd like to dedicate this talk to all those who are suffering from COVID and from so many other diseases. People are dying from many diseases, not just a virus. May all the suffering that pervades this whole world, may there be comfort, may, may there be medicine, may there be strong medical people available to offer cure, to offer relief, to offer benefit and bless those who are suffering. And may the Dhamma thrive and flourish in this world so people can be relieved and find comfort and refuge from their mental suffering because more impoverished are we by our mental suffering than by any suffering of the body. So I'll stop there for now. So I thank you for the teaching, Aya. We have a lot of attachment, right? And sometimes this attachment is stopping us. So what is the best way to stop like this attachment to pride, attachment to ourselves, attachment to anything? And sometimes this attachment become anger as well. So how do we train ourselves so that we can let go more? I think you answered your question yourself when you said, how can we let go more? You have to let go more. The Buddha gives us tools. He gives us precepts. When you take a precept, you are forced to let go. And a lot of people bargain when it comes to the fifth precept. They don't want to let go. And there, there's, the mind starts justifying. It's very sad to see. People will say, well, I'm only going to have one drink. I'm just using that as an example, because this is about attachment, isn't it? And the attachment comes from greed. So if we're aware, if we're aware of our greed, awareness is the very first thing that is already, you're not caught up in the greed as much because you're aware of it. So supposing someone is aware that they want a drink, but they're very attached to having it. But the awareness, at least you're not just grabbing the drink and having it, but there's an awareness, oh, I want that drink, but there's a precept that says, Sura Meraya Matapamadatana Weiramani Sikapadang Samadhyami I am giving myself to the training. I'm undertaking it. It means I'm taking it upon myself to train in giving it up. But then you say, well, I just want one. Well, that's not training oneself to give it up. That's training oneself to just want one. So we're not really training. But if you have a wise friend next to you, the wise friend will say, that's not what the precept says. The precept says to give it up, not to have one. If the Buddha was saying you can have one drink, there would be a footnote that says it's okay to have one. But there is no footnote anywhere. 
Nowhere is there a footnote to the fifth precept. Is there a footnote to the fourth precept? Well, I'm just gonna tell this little white lie, it won't hurt anyone. People say, well, it's just a little white lie. But the problem is that we justify even a little white lie because we think that if, it, if it's not true, but it's kind, it's okay. Untruth is never kind because untruth puts us in the habit of telling lies. And after a while, you forget what's true and what isn't true. If you repeat something that isn't true over and over again, you start to believe in it. So you have to practice awareness and then undertake the training. So that requires renunciation. Nobody likes renunciation. If they did, then we'd have a hundred bhikkhunis with us here. But there are not a hundred. There are not even 50. <laughs> there are not even five. There's not enough renunciation in the world. But we are happy. We are happy to give up because we see that by giving up, we gain strength in that which is true, in that which will support the best in us. Somebody has asked another question saying, if people are unable to wear masks, how do we approach that with generosity? I will ask you a question. How can we approach with generosity that people are shooting each other in the street? There is so much ignorance in this world that people not only don't wear masks, but they shoot each other and they even vote for governments that drop bombs on innocent children. How do we approach that with generosity? Generosity doesn't mean that you agree with what is being done, but the generosity that we can offer those kind of people is our compassion. Oh, are you going to pay for your kama? You are performing such evil, unwholesome kama, and you will suffer for it for a long time. So our compassion is an act of generosity because we see the unwholesomeness that they are performing, we have no control over it. But we don't agree with it. Generosity doesn't mean that you agree, yes, go ahead. But it means that you offer what you can offer. You offer compassion. You don't have to go up and say, I feel compassion for you because they might react in a violent way. But you can disagree if they are willing to get into a conversation and disagree with you. That's okay. We can agree to disagree. And we can feel compassion when they get sick. Your silence is not compliance. But your silence may be you understand that there is nothing you can say or do to stop this person. They will do what they're going to do. Maybe they live in a faraway place and they're doing something evil. We cannot stop them, but we can practice the Dhamma and dedicate merit to beings everywhere that may they wake up 
may the Dhamma be revealed to them. Have not thoughts of ill will towards that person, but thoughts of goodwill, like wishing them to wake up. Even if they never do, you never know. We have no idea what powerful energy can come from our good intentions in this world. In this teaching, if we purify our intention, then we are already in the act of purifying our conduct. If we at least keep precepts, then if the mind is still having impure thoughts, eventually we have to renounce sometimes and be uncomfortable for the sake of others. So renunciation and restraint. We have to think, this is how you keep that, that vow of working for the benefit of others, practicing compassion for the sake of others. This is why we try to perfect our minds and restrain the mind from greed, from ill will, and from our ignorance. Any other questions? In our daily life, we normally take five precepts. Does it mean that we don't do enough, i.e. if we only practice five precepts in terms of pursuing these stages of enlightenment? Does Sila in the Noble Eightfold Path, my understanding for the right speech, it comprises of four. So can Aya please give me some advice about this? These five precepts are not just five precepts. There's so many precepts in them. Like if we are listening to impure thoughts, then the voices in the mind are sometimes very impure. Then there's wrong speech going on inside us. So why are we listening to that? The right speech is about not lying and not abusing, not using abusive language, not slandering others, using slanderous speech, and not gossiping. We should not gossip about other people. We should not say unkind things. We should not accuse and blaspheme and criticize people behind their backs. This is very unskillful. So if there are times during your life when you break any precept, but you confess and you acknowledge, oh, I've broken that precept, and you might mention it to someone, oh, I did this today, I was so unskillful. And they will say, try not to do it again. And then you say, okay, I will try. That's what we do as monastics. When we break one of our rules, we have to come together and do confession. And I think this process of confessing to another witness is a very valuable procedure. It helps us to let go and forgive ourselves. Because part of our Vinaya, a very important part, is forgiveness. We must forgive each other. If we don't forgive each other, then we don't practice compassion. So the precepts are to be practiced with compassion. That's why for a Buddhist or someone following this path, we would not agree with the death penalty. 
some people cannot be rehabilitated. Maybe they're mentally unwell, but if they're killed because of their crime, there's no chance for them to rehabilitate. And the beauty of this principle of, of compassion is that rehabilitation is, is a very important option. That's a generosity that you forgive, but you don't forgive without a warning. You must not do it again. And if people keep doing the same thing over and over again, then maybe they have to stay in prison because they have to be restrained. The five precepts are such a training. You undertake a training. So it might not be perfect right away, but we're training. Training means over and over and over, like watching the breath. How many million breaths do we watch to train the mind? That's a higher training. It takes a long time. So by forgiving ourselves and then we, okay, I must not use the, those wrong kinds of speech. The speech one is maybe the most difficult. What is the one precept that the Buddha never broke? It's the precept of speech. He never broke the precept of telling the truth. So for one, you could see why the parami, the sacha parami is so important because if somebody wants to be a Buddha and takes the vow to become a Buddha, they must never ever break that precept, the speech, four kinds of speech. And there are many other kinds of speech too, like those who keep higher speech precepts as we do in the monastery. Higher speech is really about kindness, how we use these two lips. We should not speak out of anger. Uh, with gratitude, Aya, you spoke about teacher is present. We have trust in the Buddha as our teacher. Uh, could you please talk about the aspect of inner teacher that is present in all of us. How can we develop the trust while we're still developing our wisdom? So the inner trust comes when you take refuge. What are you taking refuge in? Well, you take refuge in the Buddha. And when there is one moment of pure awareness, you're keeping precepts and your mind is focused on the breath and you have breath by breath, you have pure attention on the breath. So you're keeping mindfulness, you're keeping precepts, you've taken refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha and the Dhamma is alive in you, then that's a moment of pure awareness. This is a moment of purity and that moment of purity is possible because you have applied yourself to the practice of sila samadhi panya and i i remember once i was practicing in myanmar in burma on retreat it was a long retreat and people used to come to the monastery and make offerings and one day 
one of the people that was bringing Donna came up to me and made Anjali to me. I was still a laywoman. And I said, oh, don't make Anjali to me. I'm just a Patujna. He said, no, you are not. You are practicing the Arhata consciousness right now because you are meditating and you are paying so careful. Mm -hmm. that he was watching me do walking meditation. And I guess I was really in it. So he got inspired. And that's what they do. They, they make Anjali, even if you are just meditating on retreat, because you are practicing Buddha Dhamma. And when you are practicing Buddha Dhamma, Sila Samadhi Panya, then you are worthy of gifts, worthy of offerings, worthy of hospitality, worthy of reverence. And you have to contemplate your own virtue. If you contemplate your own virtue, your own practice, then the trust must be there. And if the doubting mind is saying, oh no, I'm no good, then that's a kilesa. That's doubt. It's a nivarna. You have to be mindful and say, no, I trust my virtue. I'm a trustworthy. I'm a student of the Buddha. The teacher is present and I'm practicing. So impure thoughts are defilements. And if you're thinking, the mind is impure. So you let go of the thinking. Thank you, Aya. I trust in your teaching. Thank you so much. It's not my teaching. It's the Buddha's words. Aya, so if we uh, realize that we have our ignorance and defilement, we try to stop. But often we don't realize our ignorance and defilement. What would you suggest to us about this, Aya? It's a good question. We are often the mind is getting impure thoughts. We have to practice more mindfulness and more meditation. If you meditate every day, then you train your mind to be more aware, and then you will immediately know when you're uh, when you're ignorant, when avijja is in charge, when avijja is conducting you and your activity, then your mind will be full of confusion and it will affect your activity also. So it takes a, a lot of training the mind to be mindful moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, all the time mindfulness is our friend. Then the teacher is present more often. Then the teacher starts to live within our own hearts. It just takes practice. And if there is a moment of ignorance, you forgive and say, oh, I was ignorant. The mind, the ignorance came in the mind. And then you see it and you let it go. Then you make an aditana, I will be more mindful. I will be more present. I will pay more attention. It's not a complicated thing, but it's to remember to do that. That's why Buddha Nusati is so important. If you walk around all day long saying Buddha, Buddha, but after a while you forget your lips are saying Buddha, but your mind is somewhere else. No use. So you play tricks with your mind because the mind will always forget. And after a while, we have enough practice that the mind knows where it should be. 
and the mind knows where to go. But it takes a lot of practice. That's why I love the bhikkhuni life so much because I wear the robe like the Buddha wore. So when I get up in the morning and I put on my robe, I'm thinking about the Buddha. When I shave my head, I'm thinking about the Buddha. When I eat my alms food, the Buddha is in my mind all the time. It's Bhutto, Bhutto. It's not just having to come from the mind. It's externally coming. And my companions, they are also doing the same thing. So I have so many reminders. In the monastery, it's easier to remember. But even here, we can lose the plot and forget. Every day in the morning when you wake up, you start all over again. You start fresh. Today, I'm going to be more present. I'm going to have the teacher within me all the time. And we forgive. Okay, I made a mistake. I'll try better, try harder. This kind of gathering is very useful because we chant, we take precepts, we make dedications, we contemplate our life, we contemplate the Buddha's teaching. So it is good to set aside time where we get together with Kalyanamita to review the Buddha's teachings and to have them expounded upon and clarified and spoken of in detail. This is very useful. Thank you, Aya. Abiwa Tanasili Sanichanguta Pachaino Chataro Dhammawa Dantia Yuano Sukambalangayura Rogya Sampati Sada Sampati Mewacha Atonibana Sampati Iminate Samitatu.